So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the time or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. The word of God. Please be seated. Happy Mother's Day. Would you, yeah, can we take a moment and you just turn to a couple mother figures near you and wish them a happy Mother's Day weekend? Happy Mother's Day. We're going to continue into our Be Well series, and we want to look at the second coming of Jesus Christ. What does this look like for us as Adventists? If you're coming in for the first time or watching along and have no idea what, is an, what are the Adventist traditions, one of them is um, that we celebrate the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Yeah, hence Adventists, right? We, we are a people who look forward to the coming. We're an apocalyptic kind of people. We're looking for this prophetic uh, return of Jesus. And it might be interesting to us as we're looking at a story in the book of Acts of Jesus leaving us, his ascension. So uh, to talk about his coming by looking at a story of his going might be interesting, might be, uh, might be funny, and yet... I think that this particular story holds a lot of helpful hints about how Adventists could live today um, engaged in a world that needs Jesus more than ever. So in our passage that we looked at, they asked Jesus, is this the time when the kingdom, when your kingdom will begin? Is this it? Is this where we're going to, we're in here, we've been waiting for this We've talked about it. We've seen it in prophecy. We're ready. Is this it, Jesus? We want it to be this time because, well, because the world is broken. We saw you die just a few days earlier. We know that there's a heavy oppression and operation of the Roman system that's above us. And in our own people, we struggle with truth and goodness. Is this the time, Jesus? Jesus says, well... The time is not for you to know, for that is the Father's work, and that is the Father's authority. This is important to us as Adventists, I think. I think it's a part of our, our story, and I think that it's imperative for us to consider, because when you and I think about the end times, or the time when Jesus comes, I'm not sure about our youngest generation, but at least my generation and back, there was a, a mixed bag of feelings, of emotions, isn't there? There's like the excitement that Jesus is finally coming back. There's that joy, yes. But then there's also that fear that we've got to live through the end times and time of tribulation. 
I don't know if anyone has ever been scared of that time. Have you sat around with your siblings and talked about, what would we do when everyone turns on us? Like everyone's going to turn into zombies and all of a sudden we've got to survive. Or there's this reluctance in us um, for Jesus to come because we're not sure if we're ready. But also there's a relief that Jesus will come because Jesus is going to solve all the broken systems. So, like, there's this joy and this fear. And, uh, again, growing up, just thinking about, am I ready? Will Jesus come and Jesus accept me as I am? I used to have these nightmares growing up as a kid where Jesus would return. He'd see me and my family and my friends. He'd pick us all up, and then he'd go back. But as everybody was leaving, my feet was anchored to the ground. And as much as I would stretch and reach I couldn't go because I didn't realize it, but I wasn't ready. Am I the only one who had those scary dreams? You're like, yes, Icky, you're by yourself. <laughs> so there's this mixed bag of feelings as Adventists. Am I ready? What about the time of trouble, a time of tribulation? Am I, am I going to be courageous enough? And yet, I do want Jesus to come back. I want Jesus to come back when I was young. I'd want Jesus to come back, but not right away, because I wanted to get into a relationship and get married and do married things. So Jesus come, but not right away. Mixed bag of feelings. In, the, in our fundamental beliefs as Adventists, we have a set of 28 beliefs that are fundamentally common generally accepted as things that we commonly move in and out of in belief. It's not a creed because we never wanted to do a creed. But in the 25th fundamental, it talks about the coming of Jesus. And it reads like this. The second coming of Christ is the blessed hope of the church, the grand climax of the gospel. The Savior's coming will be literal, personal, visible, and worldwide. When he returns, the righteous dead will be resurrected, and together with the righteous living will be glorified and taken to heaven, but the unrighteous will die. The almost complete fulfillment of most lines of prophecy, together with the present condition of this world, indicates that Christ's coming is near. The time of that event has not been revealed, and we are therefore exhorted to be ready at all times. Be ready. This phrase is a scary phrase. Am I ready? So we want to be happy with Jesus' return, but also we're scared that um, will we make it? We're, we're scared that the time of tribulation will be too hard. We're scared of losing out on human experiences. We're scared of being caught off guard and not prepared for that day. Being an apocalyptic group is a bit frightening at times. So in recent generations, because of your experience growing up with these ideas, one group will either move towards operating from a place of, of uh, anxiety and fear and stays vigilant at all times, always looking for the marker that says, aha, this is the end time, run! And they stay in this tense Place and anyone who's not with them is against them. So they're always looking for how for for when is that time? We've got to go go someplace and, and they'll they'll buy some land in, in, in some place in the middle of America. 
And they'll, and they'll live there because no one can find you once you buy a plot of land with your name and social security on it. The second group coming from this, they've been traumatized with fear culture. They've been traumatized about whether they're loved, whether they're good enough, whether they'll be ready. And so they choose uh, to not partake in this. But then they become a little bit more, uh, they, they become a little bit less careful about their heritage. So they don't share with the next generation how we got to this place. And I think it's imperative for us because there's a middle ground where we say, we don't have to be that group, but we should not also be this group. We should also be able to dive into our heritage, into our history, into our tradition, into our ideas that formed us because how we got here and knowing how we got here will help us know how to move forward. I've been blessed with so many mother figures. I have all kinds of mother figures in my life. In fact, I dare say it's mostly the women who carried me through my life experiences to who I am today. I'm thankful for the powerful women who sacrificed, who stood beside, who supported, and who loved. These women who were gracious and protective and strong and hopeful and persistent and loving. Thank God for mothers and thank God who mothers. But I have a mother, a biological one whom I'm very fond of. Here's a picture of her. This is what my mom looks like. Look at her. No, don't. She's a, she's a, she's a, she's a, yeah. She is an inspiration. And she's like a storm. She's charismatic. She's got a huge personality. She wants to be around people. And, and she's got, she's not afraid of anything, right? So growing up, and when we talked about a judgmental, a, a God who's watching over you, some of my friends had the idea of a judge, a man with a beard, with, with a gown, with a gavel, who's like, I'm looking, I'm watching for you, and don't you step wrong. My picture of God uh, as, as a, a, a strong, powerful God was my mom. When you said a God of wrath, I thought of my mom. Sister, don't play. Like, I wasn't scared of my teachers. I wasn't scared of, of my principal. I wasn't scared of policemen. I was scared of my mom. Her last name, her maiden last name is Payne. <laughs> Growing up, I thought that was a title. Mama Payne. Because she always brought the pain. My mom's a beast. She's deeply protective. She's fiercely loving. She has a huge bias for her children. If she hears something about her kids that she knows is not true, she will not let it rest. Conversely, if she hears something that is true about her children, you will not rest. My mom's crazy. Here's a couple pictures of her. I, I want to show you a couple more. This is her uh, a little bit younger, I think. Um, this is her with my, my brother. And uh, this is her again. This is us. I think we were going to church one day. Look at us. Look at my mom. 
and then, of course, yeah, just like you've seen before, um, a picture of her. And you know, growing up in the American society that we grew up in, I didn't understand my mom really well. I just, I didn't get her. I just always thought, man, what is up with this lady? Why can't she be like my other friend's moms, you know? The ones who wanted to hold conversation and ask about your feelings and stuff like that. That wasn't my mom. My mom wasn't like that at all. She was cut from a different cloth, and I could not figure out what cloth that matched. And it was for, the, for my, uh, my entirety of my childhood, I just kept thinking, man, mom, why are you the way that you are? Now, I love my mom. My mom and I have always been close, but my mom is different. And I mean different as in crazy. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that I saw my mom differently. We went down to New Zealand to visit my mom's mom. And my mom hates flying, but because she had to go see her mom, nothing was going to stop her. So my mom gets on the plane with me, and we're about to, to fly overseas. And just like my friend Steve Hemingway, my mom also is very frightened of flying. And I saw fear in her eyes that I'm not used to seeing. And she sits there and she's quiet and she's a little bit paralyzed. And, 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 you know, my mom's never taken a degree in aerospace dynamics or engineering. But when she gets on a plane, apparently she knows what every sound means. It means death. We're going to die. Did you hear that? We're dying. No, mom, we're not dying. We fly to New Zealand. And we get there. And my mom gets off the plane. We go to my aunt's house, and there were all of her siblings. My mom has like 12 siblings. Here's a, here's a picture of a few of them together. Uh, it's, a, it's an older picture. They, 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 don't, they don't need friends. When you got that many siblings, <laughs> you, you're your own friends. You're your own enemies. You have your little community, right? She gets there, and it was like, Seeing my mom and my mom and my mom and my dad mom and my grandma mom, they were all just like my mom. The way they laughed, the way they cracked jokes, the way they picked on their children. I was like, ah, I see it. You're all crazy. <laughs> and then they, were, they would laugh and they were just bubbly and there was so much life in that room and, and something struck me. I had misunderstood my mom the whole time. It wasn't that she was born in a vacuum. See, uh, prior to that moment, just in my mind, just the, the way that I work as a child, I always thought, well, when I was born into the world, so was my mom. My mom didn't have a life before me. My mom uh, wasn't uh, connected to anything else. She didn't have a history. So when I was born is when my mom started to exist. And so the way she treated me in, in our living has no bearings to her context. She's just that kind of a person. But then I saw her in her element. I saw her with her brothers and her sisters, the way they talked, the way they laughed. They'd stay up all night. They'd pick on each other just like siblings do. And I, I, it dawned on me that the reason why I didn't understand my mom is because I didn't understand her context. I thought she was born in a vacuum. I did not realize she had context. Found this picture of my mom. Uh, she put that last one up. Look at how happy she was. That's because she didn't have kids yet. <laughs> 
<laughs> Look at her hair, it's not white. Got all her teeth, she's happy, man. She's a sister here. She's a daughter here. She's a friend here. She has so much more context and history here. And I had mis misplaced that. I, I had not thought of her as somebody who came from some place with a story, hence being who she was. And because her culture and her space wasn't American, it didn't look right because I grew up in America. My mom and I are closer than ever. And from that point forward, I began to see her differently. I realized then that growing up here as an undocumented immigrant, a lot of her strength came from her fear for us to make it to protect us from failing, from being hurt. It was her way of keeping us together, and I hadn't realized because I was so caught up in my story, thinking that my mom was born and existed in a vacuum, nothing apart from me. And I think about the church as well. I believe that the church also has this problem. We sometimes believe that we're part of this church and the church was just born in a vacuum. And so when we talk about the theology of the church, it sometimes feels foreign and alien to us, especially our younger generations. You may walk away from some of this conversation and say, what were they talking about? Why is the sanctuary a thing? Why is the second coming of Jesus a thing? What about present truth? Why, why, what are all these things? Because they, they exist and see this church as a place that came to be when they were here, just like you and I. But we have a deep contextual history by which the church was born from. So we must be able to recognize that if we want to continue to move forward and better the church. 1800s was an interesting time. This is when lay theology started to grow and become more apparent. Not just scholarship, but lay people, salesmen, uh, seamen, um, blue-collar workers started creating theology from reading the word because the word had become very uh, accessible to everyone. European immigration was pouring into the, to the Americas. America itself was growing, buying out the French and, and, and getting the, the territory of Louisiana. There was a civil war. This wasn't a war that happened overseas. This was a war that happened on this soil. And so there was a, a brokenness between neighbors and brothers and fathers and mothers. There were, uh, women's suffrage movement was happening. So you can see there was a lot of things happening here in this time. Um, different little groups began to spurt up. Different Christian groups began to spurt up here and there, moving from the Methodists, from Wesleyans, from Baptists, who aren't very old themselves, but the, the world is, is in transformation, and it's changing, and it's moving. You could see why there was a group who really wanted Jesus to come back. And they said, Jesus, in 1944, is this the time? Is this the time when you're coming back? We're ready for it. And Jesus does not come. And so we begin to wrestle with our own ideas. 
our prophetic theology. We begin to talk about our eschatology. What, is it, what does it look like for us in these end days? And we begin to, to, to work out a sanctuary, a, a Sabbath. And wh while these things are not perfect or right or exact, this is how we came to be. And it's a beautiful, beautiful mess. Adventism was an apocalyptic movement born into this context. In fact, many Adventists were Adventist Methodists or Adventist Baptists or, or from different groups. Um, Ellen Harmon, her family was kicked out. They were, they were disfellowshipped from the Methodist movement, and that's the only reason why they left. And, and, and so Adventism begins to form as a, as a people, as a faith. Christians in general during the 1800s believed that Jesus was coming back. You could say that anywhere and nobody would be bothered by it. Christians in general mostly believed in a time of tribulation. They, they accounted this to Matthew 24 when Jesus says, uh, you know, there's going to be earthquakes and rumors of wars and wars, but don't be fooled. This talk was a very real talk. Adventists weren't crazy or unique for saying these things. It was a part of everyone's context in the 1800s. Nobody wanted to continue on in the brokenness of overpopulation, of, of change, of, of the problems, of the wars. No one wanted that. So here's where Adventism took a step out. Their real argument wasn't whether Jesus was returning or not. Most people believe in that. The real argument wasn't whether or not there would be a time of tribulation. Everyone got that. Jesus was talking about in Matthew. Their, 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 real, their real pivoting position was when Ellen G. White, uh, as a young leader, and the young leaders began to, uh, to share that the Sabbath would be an integral part of the reasoning for the persecution. This is what they said. Okay, hey, listen. It's not just that there's a time of tribulation, but there's a time when, when the Sabbath will be our cutting. This is where we'll, we'll figure out whether we're part of the saved and part of the not. Right or wrong. This is how they saw it. So, so she taught. She taught from this place. Ellen G. White taught from this place of visionary ideas, of prophetic scripture, of conversation and debates between different people and different preachers and pastors. But I want to show you something from the, the book, The Great Controversy. It came out in 1858. Now, 1858, this is a time of this is a time of civil unrest. So, you know, there's a lot of brokenness in America right now. But she writes this in the great controversy about what God's people looks like. The people of God, the people of God, some in prison cells, some hidden in solitary retreats in forests and mountains, still plead for divine protection while in every quarter companies of armed men, I'll say that again, Companies of armed men, urged on by hosts of evil angels, are preparing for the work of death. It is now in the hour of utmost extremity that the God of Israel will interpose for the deliverance of his chosen. Thrones of evil men are about to rush upon their prey when, lo, a dense blackness, deeper than the darkness of the night, falls upon the earth. Then a rainbow shining with a glory from the throne of God, spans the heavens and seems to enrich each prayer company. The angry multitudes 
are suddenly arrested. Their mocking cries die away. The objects of their murderous rage are forgotten. With fearful forebodings, they gaze upon the symbol of God's covenant and long to be shielded from this overpowering brightness. She talks about a time of tribulation, which isn't new for anyone of that time. But here's how she puts it. But we, the people who believe in God, who believe to be those witnesses of God, we will live in such a way that we will not be the ones who are the armed men. That we will be the ones who live in prayer and in witness to goodness in the world. And as we sit before our tribulation, we aren't going to arm ourselves. We're going to trust in God that it is God who will answer our prayer. And how does God answer the prayers of the, of the saints? With a rainbow. Really, God? I mean, give me a tank. Give me, give me a grenade. Give me, give me something. Nope. I'm a God's like, I'm going to throw a rainbow out, and that's going to solve our issues. I just think of this, this prolific vision that as we are in a place where we are waiting for Jesus, our job to get ready is not to arm ourselves with more biblical knowledge. It's not to arm ourselves with more biases. It's not to arm ourselves with righteousness. It is to sit before God and allow God to bring a blessing on the world through us. You and I, we've been fighting the wrong battle. We've been trying to be right. We've been trying to be the ones who's got it all together. The truth is, when we sit before God, we can sit as we are because God has it all together. I don't have to have all the answers. I just have to be connected to the one who does and trust that God knows best. Now, the, 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 the promise, that symbol of a rainbow is a symbol that destruction will not fall you, that the destruction will not fall you again. So as a people whose symbol is a rainbow, beautiful, beautiful in all kinds of ways, it also reminds us we are people of a promise for non-destructive work. We are a people whose work is supposed to be uplifting and life-giving and good. We are people who are supposed to preach blessings and bring healing and peace to the world. That is what we are supposed to be doing while we are waiting for Jesus. I return to Acts. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time? Because they've been waiting. Is this the time, Jesus? We'd love, really love for you to resolve everything, fix it now. Let's get this done with. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will, here we go, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and into all the earth. This is what you are to do. Live lives that witness the love of God. Can you and I do that today? Yes. Can you leave this place? Now, you know, if I said, hey, I need you all to go out this week and give four Bible studies and convert some people so we get baptized next week. <laughs> Not likely. But can you take this homework, go into this world, witnessing the love of God through your actions and your life? Can you do that? Yes, we can. This is what we were called to do. 
to love in our local space, the Jerusalems, to love in our neighboring space, the Judeas, to love to the enemy, our Samarias, to love into all the world. When we witness the love of God and we do that, we don't have to worry about when Jesus comes back. Because when Jesus comes back, he's going to find us doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Amen? My uh, former elder, one of my former elders, Adrian Watkins, always says, sometimes we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Oof. Truth. Truth. The disciples were caught here so heavenly minded. They were watching as he was being lifted up. They were gazing up towards heaven. Suddenly the two men in the white robes stood by them and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. In other words, why are you just standing here looking up? You should be standing here looking out. As the church, the best thing we can do is stop standing around, looking out for when that day comes. Because when that day comes, it will come. What we can do is begin to look down at our feet and look out into our neighbors and begin to live a life here together that is uplifting and life-giving and renewing and protecting and good. And when Jesus comes and sees us in this space, he will know, he will know that we have been about what we were supposed to be about from the very beginning. John Webster, one of our theologians from across the street, writes, calling for the coming of Jesus is thus not more escapism. It is a radically revitalizing call, a call for humility, openness, and generosity, a call to work for justice and peace in the present, a call that means that although we do not possess him now in fullness, we can experience his coming to us again and again in the present. And that one day, we will see his face, we will see him face to face in glory. Church, we have to do bold things in difficult times. We live in hard times. There's, oh, you just watch the news. How much death is around us? How many pointing fingers? How many divisive minds? How many uh, uh, point plays about who's right and who's wrong? And, and there is a world that is trying to sift us apart. I dare say we should not let this world sift us apart. They're going to try to pull you on their team and say, hey, you think this way, they think that way. For, you know, we don't belong together. You and I don't belong together because of what, we, what, we, what our ideas are. You and I belong together because Jesus is at our center. We live in a difficult world. We live in a world normatives, and if you don't fit that normative, there's something wrong with you. If you don't look like everyone else, there's something wrong with you. With our health craze that Pastor Devo might preach on next week, uh, we t you know, people talk about being healthy, but really what they're talking about is looking sexy. And looking sexy and being healthy is not the same thing. Somebody say amen. amen. Having a look about yourself and actually being a healthy person, and we body shame people 
right? This, this world is full of this kind of stuff. We're the kind of church that says, no, we believe in a health message because it's healthy living. It's going to help you live longer, not look better. You might look better, but not the point. We live in a world where people pick on people because they're not normative, because they might have a mental disability. They might struggle because they're not like other kids. Maybe they deal with autism, ADHD. Maybe they struggle with something deeper and because it's uncomfortable for us, we don't know what to do with them. We live in a world that says you have to look like us. And if you don't get married to the person I think you should get married to, you don't belong. That because maybe you're not exactly the way I am, you're wrong. The kingdom of God says that it will be a house of prayer for all nations. Everyone has the right to be a part of this community. It is our job, our prophetic job, to care for them, to protect them in our witness to this world of God's love that lives in us. So, is Jesus coming? Amen, he is. Do you have to be frightened by it or worried about it? Yeah, I ain't gonna be worried about it. Listen, God's got this big old rainbow and it's there to protect you and I and it's there to reflect his love to the world. Blessings.